Welcome back to the Community Christian Church Podcast. This week, we're joined by Community Pastor Carrie Latticeur for week two in our series, Searching for Answers. Community is one church in four expressions, meeting online, in person, and in small groups around the globe. Learn more and plan your visit at communitychristian.org. In a few moments, Community Pastor Carrie Latticeur is going to bring us the next message in our series, Searching for Answers. But before she does, because we don't know the history of everyone who is watching, I want to mention that today's message includes a personal story about teenage suicide. I know that that is a topic that may have impacted some of us directly. And we want to be sensitive to everyone's mental and emotional well-being. So I wanted you to have that information beforehand. And of course, if you or someone you care about is thinking about suicide, we encourage you to reach out for help. You matter to God and you matter to us. There is always help available. Okay, here is Carrie with week two of Searching for Answers. One of my favorite books growing up as a kid was Alexander's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Did anyone else read this book? If you remember, Alexander wakes up with gum in his hair, gets in trouble for fighting with his brothers, finds out he has a cavity, is served lima beans for dinner, and is stuck wearing railroad pajamas to bed. An overall terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And his solution, of course, is to move to Australia until his mom reminds him that some days are just like that. Some days bad things happen even in Australia. Some days bad things do happen. For example, the day you come home tired from work and this happens. Anyone ever have that happen to you? That there is a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Or how about the day you decide to take a fun little camping trip with the family? Now, camping is always a bit of a risk, but that certainly turned into a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Or, of course, the day you decide to go up to the attic to grab a few things out of storage, that is a, say it with me, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. We can find humor in these days, but what about when the picture is far from humorous? When you get called into the boss's office and receive terrible news? When someone you love receives a horrible diagnosis? When you turn on the news and it is story after story of no good, very bad days. During those times, not only is it hard to find humor, sometimes I think it can be hard to find God. If you are in a place like that right now, I want to stop for a moment and assure you, you are not alone. There are stories upon stories of pain and suffering in the Bible and throughout history. I have my own stories of pain. I know each of you joining in have them too. If you are in a bad day season, you are not the first, nor will you be the last to wonder, why does God allow suffering? Today, we're going to search for answers to that question. Chances are, if you haven't asked it yet, you will someday. It's one of life's hardest questions because it's not just an intellectual question. It's one that impacts us personally through our own pain and the pain of those we love. We feel this question. It's raw and tender like an exposed nerve. And so searching for answers to this question is not easy. 
before we start our search, let me tell you what we're not going to do today. We're not going to solve the issue of pain and suffering. I won't insult you by pretending it's that simple. We're also not going to minimize pain and suffering by providing simple platitudes like everything happens for a reason. Those aren't helpful. And we're not going to tell you that your situation will get better if you just have enough faith because, well, that's just not how God works. Instead, what we're going to do is invite everyone to wrestle with this question, to enter into a conversation that's both honest and open. It might help to realize that if you ask this question, you are in good company. This is not a new question. The Bible is full of stories of people who didn't find easy answers in the middle of their suffering. For example, Naomi was an Israelite woman whose family moved to another country to escape a famine. Only once they arrived in that country, her husband and her two sons died, leaving her desolate. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me, Naomi lamented. Can you hear her saying, why does God allow suffering? Job is perhaps the most famous sufferer in all of Scripture. He lost everything—his home, his family, his health. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest but only turmoil, Job complained. Can you hear him saying, why does God allow suffering? Even the disciples wrestled with this question. When they found themselves in circumstances that threatened their well-being— They cried out to God himself, don't you care? Why, God, they wondered, do you allow suffering? The Bible is full of people who wrestled with this question. And today I want to zero in on one person in particular. It's the famous Bible character many people think about naming their kids after, Habakkuk. Okay, I'm kidding about the famous part and the naming kids part. Most of us would say, Habakkuk, who? Habakkuk is not a Bible character we hear a lot about, so let's take just a minute to meet him. Habakkuk was a 7th century prophet living in the final decades before Israel's southern kingdom was destroyed by Babylon. It was a time of injustice and idolatry in Israel. But unlike other prophets in the Bible, Habakkuk doesn't call Israel to repent. Instead, his words are addressed to God. The book of Habakkuk documents his personal struggle to believe that God is good when there's so much pain and suffering in the world around him. His short book starts with these desperate words. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. When I read these words, it strikes me how even though they were written thousands of years ago, they could have been written today. We cry, how long, O Lord, must we cry for help as we watch innocent people gunned down in a grocery store in Buffalo for no other reason than the color of their skin? Violence is everywhere. We lament as we watch a senseless war continue to rage in Ukraine. Must we forever see these evil deeds? We ask as we grieve innocent children and their teachers gunned down in Uvalde. 
The questions Habakkuk asks are the questions we're still asking today. God, why did you let this happen? Why don't you care about all of this pain? Why don't you do something? And of course, these are not just questions we ask about world events and the stories we see on the news. These are deep, personal questions. These are questions we ask in our own suffering. Jen Pedley asks these questions when she was courageously willing to share her family story. My name is Jen. My husband Ken and I first began attending community in 2002. We moved away for a few years to Michigan and we've been back since 2015. We have a 22-year-old son named Asher and we have a 15-year-old son who lives in heaven. He'll be forever 15. When we moved back to Illinois, um, Asher was 15 and Isaac was 13. Isaac, he was a great kid, of course. He was an artist, he was um, a musician, he was an athlete, he was smart academically. He had a little bit of everything. Isaac did have anxiety. He definitely suffered from some anxiety. Um, we did get him some help. He learned a ton. He, he incorporated all of these breathing exercises into his life. We think now, in retrospect, that the anxiety um, possibly combined with some medication that he was on um, may have added to his impulsivity as a 15-year-old boy. And one day, he was having a very bad day, and um, he made an impulsive decision you only get to make once. and. Um, we lost him to suicide. He was 15 and uh, a couple of months old. It just was a very impulsive, from, from all appearances, it was an extremely impulsive decision. The first year after Isaac died, it is a lot of it's a blur. You know, the intense grief, the intense pain, the, the, it's always present. And it, I, I've never felt so much unrelenting pain and so much unrelenting love at the same time. And a lot of asking why. You know, why us? Why this? Why Isaac? And, and what kind of a legacy can you have when you've only lived 15 years? It was very, um, it was just a lot of unanswered questions that we know will not be answered here on Earth. My husband, Ken, struggles with the idea of, of Jesus and, and, you know, his heartbreaking, having to allow evil to win in this situation. When I say win, I don't mean win ultimately because Isaac is, he's having a great time in heaven. I, I picture him there every day. But, you know, his guardian angel had to stand down that day and not protect him in ways that maybe he had been protecting him that, you know, we have no idea. And, and that's painful to think about the evil in the world and, and how it operated that day, because I just believe that's part of what, not part, a lot of what caused our suffering. It's hard for me to even comprehend the depth of that pain. And yet I know that pain and suffering are a reality of life. No one escapes them. 
I carry my own stories of pain. I know you do too. And it is natural to question God in the middle of all of it. As we wrestle through it, I want to suggest that for a moment, we set aside the why question and instead ask the question, where? Where is God in pain and suffering? Can we find God in the darkest moments? Can we discover Him in the deepest despair? The best place to look for God in the middle of our pain is to look to Jesus, because in Jesus we find a God who suffered. Remember, God didn't come to earth in the person of Jesus to sit on a throne. He came to hang on a cross. Jesus came to rescue us from a world that human beings have so thoroughly corrupted by evil and sin. He refused to abandon us to the forces of darkness that sought to separate us from Him. God came after us, and He suffered for it. Writing centuries before Jesus' birth, Isaiah, the prophet, told us we would recognize our Savior by this description. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. In Jesus, this prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer and endure pain, and the truth is, he was profoundly shaken by it. In the garden on the night of his arrest, he was deeply distressed and troubled. His soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. His stress was so overwhelming that he literally shed drops of blood. He showed all the signs of being in physical shock. He begged the Father to save him from what was about to happen. He wanted to escape the pain. And on the cross, he cried out in despair. He felt abandoned. He experienced the pain of separation from his Father. In Jesus, the suffering Savior, we discover that even the best of the good suffer. And yes, that it's even okay for God to not be okay. Jesus knows firsthand despair, rejection, loneliness, grief, torture, and pain. He didn't numb himself to it. He didn't smile and say, everything happens for a reason. He experienced it. He lived it. When we search for God in the middle of our pain and suffering, who we find is Jesus. We find a God who understands our pain. We find a God who identifies with us in our suffering. We find a God who has genuine empathy for us as a co-sufferer. There's a rabbi, Rabbi Elliot Kukla, who tells a story of a woman he once knew who had a traumatic brain injury, which caused her to have seizures that caused her to collapse on the floor. As you can imagine, these were scary experiences for her. She told Rabbi Kukla that she would often come to lying on the floor surrounded by people who were rushing to immediately help her get back on her feet. Then she said, I think people rush to help me because they're so uncomfortable seeing an adult lying on the floor in a public place. But what I really need in that moment is for someone to get down on the ground with me. The truth is, we all need someone to get down on the ground with us. 
someone who's not afraid to face what ails us and to suffer alongside of us. What we need is someone to empathize with us, and that is exactly what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Author and researcher Brene Brown, one of the foremost experts on empathy, says empathy is feeling with people. What we need most in our darkest moments is someone who will feel with us. What we need most is connection. Imagine a scenario where someone falls into a deep hole. They shout from the bottom, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And I peer over the edge of the hole and shout something like, oh, that looks hard. Or worse yet, don't worry, everything happens for a reason. What I'm doing is actually creating more distance and less connection. I'm likely making the person feel worse and even more isolated. Brown says, if I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. What the person in the hole needs is connection. Someone who knows that it's like what it's like to be down there, who knows what it is like to feel alone. Someone who will climb down into the hole to be with the person. And that is who we have in Jesus. That is what Jesus offers us in our suffering. If we let him, he will climb down into our place of suffering and offer us connection. Jesus' suffering doesn't answer the question, why does God allow pain and suffering? But it does tell us what the answer is not. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he doesn't care. Tim Keller writes, it can't be that God is indifferent or detached from our condition. God takes our misery and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. Friends, I don't have any easy answers for you today when it comes to the question of pain and suffering, but I do know this. Jesus understands your pain. He identifies with your suffering, and I believe he wants you to find comfort in him, to come to him, to bring your sorrow and your stress, your pain and your despair, and to turn to him because he understands. In fact, when Habakkuk surveyed all the pain and suffering around him, he concluded that the only way to face it was with God. He writes this, Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Stay faithful to God, Habakkuk urges. Despite all you are enduring, remain close to Him. It's the best way forward. In our pain and our suffering, we either choose to move toward God or move away from Him. Habakkuk urges us to move toward Him. For what if we can only come to truly know Jesus, the God who suffered in the midst of our pain? My friend and author Lena Abujamra writes this, Some like to think that because Jesus suffered once, we will never have to. That because Jesus was wounded, we're promised permanent healing. That if he was abandoned by God, we never will be. 
But what if the very fellowship of his suffering is meant to draw us closer to him? What if our very pain is meant to help us see him more clearly? Where is God in the middle of our pain and suffering? He's here with us, drawing near. That reality is what the Pedley family is clinging to. It's what is making it possible for them to face each tomorrow. Here is Jen with more of their story. Grief is not a linear process, and people think that a lot. It's hard because you think you're doing better, you think you're making um, progress, you know, you're moving forward, and then the next day you can't get out of bed. And that's grief. It, it ebbs and flows, it's waves. It's hard to know where you're at in that process. And um, I, we get that. Isaac, uh, as, a, as a middle school boy, <laughs> he loved Mod Pizza. It, it opened in downtown Naperville shortly after we moved here, and, and he was there every day. They called Isaac the mayor of Mod, like, because he was there so often and because he brought all his friends in and told everyone about Mod, and he just, he was their spokesman. After he died, um, Mod Pizza is owned by a couple in um, Seattle, and they have four boys themselves. And I wanted them to know how much Maude had meant to him. And long story short, they, they named a pizza after Isaac, the Isaac Pizza. And every pizza they sold, they gave a dollar to the Jed Foundation. Every new mod or any remodeled mod is going to have Isaac's picture on the mural. So they call it the Wall of Fame. He's now one of five photos that'll be in every mod. So everyone knows, will know his name. Who would have thought a pizza place would become a big part of a, my, my teenage boy's legacy? I, I wouldn't have ever seen it coming, but it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And there are 550 mods all over the United States, so everywhere we go, we can always drop in and, and, and find some, a new friend, basically, because <laughs> they all know Isaac. Suffering, say it's like a, a, a ball, a sphere, and you know when you first, when Isaac first died, this this ball is, you know, it's in your chest. It's a rock. It's a hard, and it takes up so much room, and it's all you can think about, and it's um, cold and hard and difficult and painful, and and you think as time goes by, that's going to get smaller and easier, but. Really, the suffering stays the same, but it's 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 us. It's we who grow and expand and and make more room for the suffering. So now I I can have joy, um, but I will still always have pain at the same time. I can be happy for my my friends' kids who who hit milestones like graduation and going away to college and. Um, get married at the very same time that I'm I'm grieving my loss of that with Isaac. I'm not grateful for the suffering. I think that that would be very hard to say. I I'm grateful for some of the things the suffering have brought me. It's brought me community, people in my life who I know would go to the ends of the earth for me because they have, frankly. It's brought me a community of other moms who have lost kids and have, who know this kind of grief and this kind of suffering. 
and it's given me opportunities to now support them and, and through helping other people heal, you heal. Jesus has been real. I feel him weeping with me. And I know that he suffered as an, as an example and um, as a way to suffer well, I think. And that, that's personal to me. Friends, I don't know what you are going through today. I don't know what has broken your heart. I don't know what has torn you down. I don't know what pain you are carrying. I don't know what suffering you're enduring, but I do know this. Jesus loves you. He will never leave you, and He understands your pain because He, too, experienced suffering. However, please don't forget that Jesus also experienced resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, He opened up the way to a new life of hope without suffering, one without death. Through Jesus, we can, in some ways, experience that redemptive power of hope through our suffering in the here and now. But our greatest hope is that one day we will experience His resurrection life in its fullness. John gives us a picture of this resurrection life in Revelation 21, where he writes these words, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Jesus is preparing a place for us where there is no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more pain. That is our future reality. That is our sure hope. It's why Jesus reminds us, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Because of Jesus, our pain won't last forever. Our suffering won't have the last word. Acclaimed author Frederick Buechner, who just recently entered into the resurrection life, reminds us, Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because Jesus loves you. He will never leave you. Family, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's keep moving forward with Him. He is with us in our pain and suffering and He will lead us to resurrection. We don't have to be afraid. The pain doesn't last forever. He will have the last word. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Our mission is to help you find your way back to God. And by listening today, you've already taken your first step. And we'd love to help you take a next step in your relationship with God, the church, and the world. It's how we're all embracing the flourishing life that Jesus talks about, a life we call U+. Visit communitychristian.org to take a next step, learn more, give generously, and plan your visit. We hope to see you on a Sunday soon.